This is Pavlos, our general handyman. He's really ugly, isn't he? Don't be afraid to say so. Can't understand you anyway. He speaks only Romanian. Thank you so much for getting me to watch this again. I saw this movie when it came out on general release, I believe. I think I saw it in a cinema um, on the Mile End Road because I was going to university out in the East End and it was just the local flea pit. That's uh, what you'd call, I guess, a grindhouse in America, you know, a crappy old cinema. And I just went and saw it when it was a new film. And I think I saw it again um, at art cinemas, perhaps at the Electric or the Scala in subsequent years. And it had it, it's fascinating how indelibly it went into my head this movie because there's lots I didn't remember but it was amazing how accurately I remembered certain set pieces and it's a movie about set pieces oh yeah did it have a good reception with the audience you were with I I seem to remember when I went to see it as a student I went in the middle of the afternoon I think it was an empty <laughs> an empty cinema this is, time for horror <laughs> this is my this is my memory of course it, it may be inaccurate but I don't know so you asked that question for a reason. Why do you ask? Well, I'm just curious because it, it never seemed to have much of an impact on release. Uh, in Italy it did. Uh, in the US and in the UK, not so much. I mean, it was certainly screened in cinemas, but everything was screened in cinemas then. It wasn't like that was a badge of honour. But it, yeah, I think it had a huge critical um, reception. I think that, that it was very well written about because I'm sure that I read a review and that prompted me to go and see it. It was. It but was would that a, have been in one of the horror magazines? No, it, no, I wasn't reading anything like that. It would, it would have been in Time Out right, at that right. time. So, or maybe City Limits, conceivably, a similar magazine. Uh, so, uh, what I'm saying is that it certainly was what the French would call un succès d'estime, which is a, a critical success rather yes. than a, a. I'm sure the French wouldn't say it like that. <laughs> that I certainly think it's attempt. probably made more money since the advent of DVD and Blu-ray than it ever did. On VHS. Well, I don't know why not, because it's just stunning. I mean, look, it has its drawbacks. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The acting ain't great. Whether or not, whether or not the acting is good is, is sort of a difficult point. It's because the dubbing might... The acting yeah. might be good and the dubbing might be bad. I think it's fair to say that Joan Bennett probably isn't doing her best work here. Which one is Joan Bennett? Joan Bennett is the drunken old lush yeah. who's barely sober enough to spit out a line, the one in charge of the actual academy. Right, so she, she's not the... <laughs> The one who has a close-up of her eyes that just looks so ruined and that's not part of the script. <laughs> so, but she's not the very um, masculine sort of... That's Alida Valley. Wow. Yeah. I know all the names. These are... Well, Alida Valley, if, if yeah, the, the more uh, more German... I think it's... Look, I want to say, I think this is an amazing film and everybody should see it. It's not necessarily an entirely coherent or normal film, but that's not... That doesn't matter. It's a feast of imagery stunning imagery and and I've never I, I shouldn't say never I've seldom seen sound and vision come together with such impact it is phenomenal I, I am in awe of it I, I don't think it's Argento's best film well this is what I immediately needed to take you to task for because how could you say that Tenebrae is better than this because this no is, I didn't oh, I, I mean okay no no Tenebrae is my favorite film that's not necessarily his best film 
What, what films has he done? Profondo Rosso, I think, is his best film. Oh, well, then that's something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. I, I, think you'll, um, I think you'll get on with that a lot better. What has always stuck in my mind from this is the, the, the stunning, sumptuous, gorgeous set designs. They're ravishing. Oh, They're utterly is, ravishing. The thing about that film is that nothing in this film is accidental. So every piece of wall, every piece of carpet, every decoration, every figure on the mantelpiece. Dude, the colours are just so stunning. The it's thing that's phenomenal. Always stayed in my head is is one room that's de de decorated in the manner of M. C. Escher's artwork, and uh, I mean, and there's one that's done with Aubrey Beardsley illustrations. But they're just, I'm running out of adjectives, but they're just a feast for the eyes. It really is, and it very nearly distracts you at times because when you've got that first murder, for example. Um, where it's just, it's grim as hell, but those windows look beautiful, and you've got that, this is the thing that we were talking about when we did the Tenebrae one, of Argento uh, saying that the reason he likes to kill women is because they're beautiful, and he wants to make them look as beautiful as possible. What? Here he puts them in beautiful rooms as well. Oh, the colours are just fabulous, but although you say that, that it's pretty grim, the murder, it it wasn't really to me because it didn't seem real, I meant like there's fountains of brightly red gore spouting, It just it just seemed like a it seemed a little bit fake. Well, would you allow that the film is not so much a horror film as a fairy tale? Oh, well, that's a brilliant way of putting it. And then everything everything's hyper realistic. It forgives all yeah. of the the um, all of the flaws. But I wasn't making a big deal about those flaws. No, no, those no. flaws did not bother me. I just could not get enough of this movie. They don't bother me either. But I can see why they would bother people. Um, the acting, especially the scripting, it gets better the more times you see the film. It makes a lot more sense. There's still stuff that doesn't make that. That first murder makes no sense. I don't understand how she gets three floors up all of a sudden or why she's even gone upstairs in the first place in order to fall None through the None of that troubled me. That, I mean, that would trouble me in a naturalistic film, but this mm. is not what it's about. I want to keep going back to the very... Well, first of all, I wanted to say you were disappointed that I didn't like Tenebrae more. And I... I which is another Dario Argento I, I feel like we did them out of sequence. I think you'd like it more if you saw more Argento. But I was comparing it to Suspiria, which mm. trounces it. Well, and obviously. <laughs> one reason it trounces it is because at the centre of the story, we have um, Jessica Harper. Mm. And the thing about Jessica Harper is that she's a, she's a waif. She's like this, she's a woman, she's a pretty woman, but she's kind of small and she's always kind of put upon. And you always just, you sort of really feel protective towards her and on her side, especially because she's... A stranger in a strange land, literally, in this. Well, that's... I mean, there are giallo crossovers here, but this is not a giallo. Ooh. Now, Jessica Harper was somebody who's not very famous, but she's in three movies that, uh, you know, that, that we know about, that we kind of love. She's in this, she's in Phantom of the Paradise, and she's in Shock Treatment, so she's kind of uh, a cult movie goddess to us she is but she doesn't get a lot of credit for that nobody seems to bring it up often but she has a really great quality because she's sort of she's sort of pretty and petite and spaced out and she looks like she's going to be a victim all of which are perfect for Suspiria and it really gets the audience invested at least it got me invested in it and she's at the center of the story and she's in almost every scene whereas Tenebrae is about this male author uh who to whom I never warmed and the movie's about him, so the movie's kind of doomed from that point of view. Tenebrae has a twist which requires it to be about the male author, yeah. so I understand from a plot structure point of view why it had to be, but it just that's one reason that movie just can't work for me or ever be as good as Suspiria. But also, Suspiria is like this flamboyant work of genius. It is. The other thing with um, Jessica Harper is that 
Argento deliberately wanted all the ballerinas to be childlike and childish. So the idea is, is it's like being at school in that these are very innocent, childish people that you then care about more for that reason. Yeah. When so they overact. So I mean, in terms of when she first goes in uh, for her first ballet lesson, it's, you know, can anyone lend her a shoe, pair of shoes? And there's that, uh, I can't remember, Martha, oh. I think it is, who goes on about the, like a people called Susie are snakes. Oh, well, she, she says Susan and Sarah, people who have names with S's are serpents. It's just a, <laughs> well, it's, there's a lot of ludicrous stuff in here. But it's funny what you said about childlike, because I made this note that there we, it says, we go into a locker room full of ballerinas changing, but no nudity. Very restrained. So he's obviously going for a sense <clears> of innocence there. Argento's not, one, not really ever been much one for nudity. Um, that came a lot later once he started casting his daughter in them. Well, which, <laughs> so, that's so weird. Yeah. I mean, look, they're both happy. It's consensual. Let's just... <laughs> Let's talk, anyway, that, that's just for a discussion about one of those movies. But here we are on Suspiria, which is a masterpiece which stars Jessica Harper. And the... I want to go back to the very beginning of this film because mm. it's so compelling. She lands... In my memory, this was set in Rome, but it's not. It's set in Germany. Well, just another thing to say about the beginning of this. You said when you first saw it, you saw it at the cinema. When you saw it at the cinema, what was the opening of it? Did it have the animated opening with the letters made out of what looked like human hearts with no narration i can't i can't remember I wish I, unfortunately I, that's the opening i first saw which doesn't include the voiceover of susie banyan has arrived in germany to go to some prestigious school none of that's there so the opening of the film is it's a cold opening my god is it a cold opening? i mean the same it does footage. no favors it works really well uh which one works really well the one with one with no narration yeah I think the narration is a, is too much of a shortcut. I think it, it although it does alienate you, I, I won't deny that. Well, the, the the voiceover was probably added for exactly that reason to give a bit of explanation, and you're saying it's better without it. No, no, it's just Argento not able to set up a story. That's, <laughs> <laughs> he's never been the strongest when it comes to writing. But she lands at this airport, which is in, notionally set in Germany. But the point is, she's coming off the out of the uh, the customs area with a bunch of other people, and. Instantly, this movie is trippy and compelling and unsettling. Like there's this woman in red who walks past her and goes out the door, and you just sort of think, "Wow, that's kind of cool." But from the very moment she's she's sort of walking along and looking at this airport, it's night and it's sort of fluorescent light, and she's sort of she's sort of spaced out and she seems a little bit upset. And in my mind, I created an explanation for that because maybe she was expecting to be met. She certainly seems off balance, doesn't she? She was. The what happens is the people in front of her, as they step out through the doors, they just vanish into darkness. So it's a really well shot in that they it's very well lit. The moment they're out the doors, they just they're get gone. shrouded by darkness and they're gone. Mm. And then the doors shut and the, it goes silent again. Every time the doors open, you get that music again, Goblin kicking. Oh, well, now, I have to say something about Goblin. I've always been a huge fan of people like Ennio Morricone and I always second-rated Goblin. I, I always thought they were just not that good. And like when the Goblin album turned up or people banged on about Goblin... I would sort of just regard them with contempt. The, it, the Goblin music is so good in this. It's so fantastic. I, I was so wrong. Well, it's good in this. This is the thing, is there is a place for it. And Argento's visuals lend themselves to this music very well. Are you saying and that if, if one got the soundtrack the and played it, it wouldn't be the same experience? I well, don't think it's as strong a soundtrack as Here It Comes Again, Profondo Rosso, yeah. which I think is a better soundtrack. But I think in terms of, it's just that perfect uh, storm of Argento's visuals and their I music. Know. It it's comes together so, so well. It's so great. The sound design, the music, 
the, I mean, you the wouldn't get design. Goblin to do the music for Airport 77. They're, by the way, they're credited, apparently, I think you said they're credited different every time. In this movie, they're credited as The Goblins. The Goblin, yeah. No, well, it's Goblins, plural. plural. Yeah. Okay, the next one is The Goblin, then, I think. It's hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, whoever, however they're credited, they're amazing. So she's walking, we're in the airport, she's walking out of the airport, and she comes to this sliding door as she steps out in the night, and this gust of wind hits her. And, like, it's it's instantly kind of scary and off-putting and supernatural like this gust of wind just stirs her hair and as she steps out we see the mechanism of the sliding door he cuts to that sort of whispering shut and instantly we're kind of in this perturbed world where we're not at ease anymore and there's there's a storm is lashing the airport and she's trying to get a taxi and the taxi are all driving past her and she's in this hammering rain and she, she can't get a cab but she finally gets a cab and then there's this most amazing shot I've been dying to talk to you about. The cab drives off in the pouring rain within her and the camera pans away to a river. And the river is this raging torrent. Yeah. So you can fake rain on screen, but you could not <laughs> fake that raging torrent. Did they just get... I mean, they, they needed a storm for the opening sequence. Did they just get really lucky? I don't think they did. I think what it is is it's quite a narrow uh, drainage point. And because they had two fire engines on her anyway, spraying, the water's got to drain off somewhere. So I think it was just purely a question of if you spray the other side of that um, sluice gate, it just comes pouring through. Well, but I don't know that for sure. Well, you said, I just me, know they had two fire engines. To there. me, it looked like a huge, real storm. You don't get that lucky. But well, it's a lovely a, shot, isn't it? It's an amazing shot because the, the roiling water, it's a suggestion of um, of these forces, uh, turbulent forces, which is what the movie's about. And what helps it is the lighting, again, which it's it's hard to put into words because this is a very visual film. Uh, this was the last film shot on Technicolor, I believe. So it's Eastman Colour film with a Technicolor pr the print process. The color in this film is so... When I think, of, I think of these saturated bright reds and blues, it's just ravishing. And again, he doesn't make it easy for himself. Some of these shots are phenomenal. There are... You know, there must be twice as many lights as you need. I have a question for each, you. Yes. Uh, this is just after the bit we discussed when they're driving through the forest and it's, it's illuminated by lightning. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is that there's this flash of lightning that lights up all these shadow trees. On the tree. Yeah, what is the shadow of? It's a witch. Uh, but yeah. it, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really see what it was. But this it, happens a couple of times. There's also in the blood uh, that's dripping on the floor after yeah. the first murder, there's a witch in the blood there. Which When you say witch, a witch, like a classic... No, it's it's a very... Um, it's a very uh, what's the word? Uh, but it's not a witch in a, in a pointy hat, is what I'm saying. It's not far off it. I mean, oh, you, you've got to pause it and have a look at these things. There's a great shot of Argento. In fact, I think there's footage of him on set drawing the witch in the blood. Uh, trying to get it just right so that it doesn't look like a witch, but it also okay, doesn't quite look like blood. Scary silhouette of a woman is what we're suggesting, yeah, maybe? It's, uh, it's some Darren Brown shit going down here. He's, he's putting little bits in there to freak you out as you go. Well, Another one I really like, which is far more, less subtle, uh, but actually, in this, as always with these, we do a few films at once. We've also done The Craft, which is a, a witch film. It's an interesting witchcraft movie to set beside this, yes. Um, there's a sequence in the craft where a staircase banister rail turns into snakes. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed the banister in the front of this place is snakes. All those banister rails, it's just it's a it snake motif. It doesn't turn into snake. It's it been designed as a but snake. But it's been designed that way. And visually, I, I find it hard to believe that that's not a deliberate homage on the part of uh, the craft. What I wanted to ask is, I've written trippy. It's very trippy, this movie. I mean, the visuals are extraordinary. And, just, and again... The Goblins soundtrack. Uh, as she's arriving at the, she's a ballerina. I don't know if we mentioned that. Who's going yes. to a ballet school in Germany? She's arriving at this school, which is the most amazing Art Nouveau kind of building. Um, the the music, that, which is 
pounding in its extraordinary hypnotic music to say witches. Yes, <laughs> it's just wonderful. Witch. Yeah, it's just maybe it's just a singular widget. It's just great. It it is great, and that building you're talking about is based on a real building. Wow. Um, it's a shopping centre, I believe. It's from that. But what I always liked about it was when I first saw this film, which was early 2000s, no, late mid-90s, I was working at Chessington Wild Adventures, which is a theme park. And our offices for our department were in an area that was called Transylvania. And because... the whole thing was made out like an old German village. Right. But the front of our office was almost identical to the front of that school. It's you must have loved it. Quite un- I know, I adored it. I loved working there. We had umpa music all day. And every 30 oh, seconds, so the vampire ride would go past and people would scream. genuinely sort of Eastern European, that kind of architecture. Yeah. Perhaps even Germanic. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only difference is, obviously, is that Argento's gone overboard with the colour, but that's only because oh, it's pink lit with red. please, don't stop going overboard. I love the colour in this. Um, well, this is the thing with the blood. Is The blood is it's not meant to be real, realistic blood. That's fine it's, with me. Yeah. I'm very happy for it not to be realistic. Yeah. But so the fact that it's extremely red is no different to hammer blood. But this is, it's even less realistic than that. But what I wanted to say is I mentioned MC Moritz Cornelia Escher, the, the yes. artist, and whose designs have been evoked in this. Also, I'd say Gaudi, the, the Spanish architect. Uh, I, some of the um, interiors remind me of him. But basically, it's where, crazy Art Nouveau, most of it. Where are you seeing the Escher in here? Oh, it's, I, if we went through it, I could show you. It's one of the rooms. It's, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a fairly white room. Oh, is it the wallpaper which is like ducks in two directions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, okay. The, yeah, the, yeah, that's yeah. what we call constellations. I, and elsewhere well, too. Well, I would have said um, the, the main hall, I would put down more of a sort of Mondrian kind of yeah, look. Yeah, but there are bits where they it's actually very clearly based on Escher designs at several points. It's, it's beautiful. Just like those Aubrey Beardsley uh, bits. Uh, and also when she asks, this, she's got the world's least friendly taxi driver. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, she asks to go to... I could be wrong, but I, th- I thought she said Escherstrasse, but it might be Asherstrasse. Yes, Escherstrasse. Oh, okay. It's not, it's not more it's Cornelius Escherstrasse, then. Never mind. I was um, looking through my notes. Oh, yeah, I've written banal, silly dialogue and bad acting, not Jessica, although it could be bad dubbing. Gorgeous sets. And we're leaping way ahead here, but there's one line in this, which I think has... When I heard it, I thought, I used to quote this line. <laughs> and it was... um. Poor Daniel, torn to pieces, and <laughs> said in this flat voice. It's when the blind man gets ripped apart by his dog. Again, this is Joan Bennett. I mean, she is. No, it's one of the ballerina girls talking to 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 uh, Jessica. We can have a bet on this, but I'm sure it is. I'm almost certain it's Joan Bennett. Okay, what can we bet on this? What do you have that I covered? Oh, uh, you can have the me? Blu-ray. Okay, you're I'm on. I'm gotta buy a different one. Anyway. You're on. <laughs> no, no, it's because there's a bunch of ballerinas sitting together and. Then, Poor Daniel, torn to pieces. <laughs> which is just bad dubbing, but it, it's so funny. It was a great line which has, has stayed with me over the years. Poor Daniel, torn to pieces. Incredible. There's a sequence at the beginning, again, I mean, we're still on this bloody car journey, but what we were talking about was the rain. The rain oh, in one sequence is lit with three gels, and you get red, yellow, and blue rain. Oh, it this, just this looks movie's incredible. so beautiful. And this is shot black on black. I mean, it's just phenomenal. The movie is visually <laughs> stunning, as you will have gathered, and it completely knocked me out. But also, the, as we say, the sound. It's this is a, a milestone of cinema. I mean, it's. I'm sure that the sort of people who were custodians of the noble 
cinema of the 20th century wouldn't acknowledge it, but it's one of the great movies. If you'd had a chance, I might, I'll leave you the disc, actually, because if you get a chance to watch the restoration feature out and have yeah. a look at the untouched uh, pre-Technicolor um, film that was just shot as raw, you'll see just how oh. complex the lighting is. And then the moment they put it through that Technicolor process, the whole thing comes to life. So, in fact, on set, a lot of the colours are quite muted. That main hall, uh, the foyer of the Dance Academy, which has yeah. that blue velvet hall, I know, blue velvet. It's not even blue. <laughs> is that because it's, it's... blue on camera, on yeah. film, but the actual, the colour itself is more of a purple well, in always, reality. Well, I've always been floored by familiar scenes in movies, and then when you see a documentary that's shot in the same set, it just looks completely different, yeah. because the lighting's different, the film stock's different, the angle's different. And this is the skill. Um, this is something which, certainly by Tenebrae, Argento had lost. Um, but certainly with oh, Suspiria, and especially I'm, with Deep Red. I'm glad Red. you said that, because I, I think this is so much better than Tenebrae. I'm glad that, that you uh, acknowledge that, too. Well, the effort and skill that goes in. There was, I think, the main problem... I'm trying to think who produced Tenebrae, but I know that his uncle stopped producing his films yeah. at one point, and that meant the money sort of halved. Yeah. And suddenly, yeah, as we know, time no, is but money. Tenebrae, you said that he, he yeah. was still his uncle at that point. I, I, I honestly can't remember. But this, this takes time and it takes effort. And um, just to get these results on what is essentially a low-budget horror film. Just to summarize so people want to know what this movie is about. It's about this ballerina who comes from New York, Jessica Harper. She's not called upon to do any ballet dancing. because she. Well, she is faint. at one point. She, she faints almost <laughs> immediately, which is good because it's not easy to be a ballerina unless you're highly trained. Yeah. But she's gone to this prestigious dance academy in Germany, which turns out to be run by witches. And yes. she gradually discovers what's going on. And at points, it, it reminded me of Rosemary's Baby, especially the bit where she's after she's collapsed she's in her bedroom in suddenly in a bedroom that they've decided to stick her in and there's this doctor there giving her shots and all these people are gathered around her that really reminded me of Plansky's Rosemary's Baby there is a um, a, a big plot point which is hidden early on in the film which is when she arrives at the academy a girl is running away you think there's a plot <laughs> well the girl is shouting to someone off camera yeah. inside the building and what we later find out is that she's talking about the irises that are on the wall, the three irises. Flowers, Turn irises. The blue one. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, no one told this to the person that did the subtitles for the Blu-ray. Oh. <laughs> was basically just put the whole text on there. So, oh, so it's a giveaway. Yeah, it really spoils because it. Because it's supposed to be a bit like a kind of blow-up or blow-out kind of thing where you go back to something and discover uh, a hidden meaning, which is crucial to the plot. Yeah. yeah. So at the beginning... Which, again, I mean... I said earlier, don't call this a giallo. It does annoy me that Suspiria gets clumped in well, as a giallo. giallo. or gialli, to, to use the plural, generally aren't supernatural, are they? Well, yes. Um, oh, yeah, then, that then does why, happen. why is this not one? Enlighten me. Because this is a horror. It's a supernatural horror. Oh, um, there's not much of a mystery here, hurts. but the, <laughs> the elements are all there. You've got this, uh, you've got the, the testimony oculari. You know, she's seen something, but she can't quite figure out what it is. She's a stranger in a foreign land. She's an artist. Giallo is more of a whodunit than this. Yes. Okay. And really, there's not much question of whodunit in this. No, it's a whole bunch it's, of witches. If anything, it's a why done it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what the hell is going on in this I, film? I've also written down every ballet school should have a room full of barbed wire, which I'm sure you're... <laughs> well, I mean, this is baffling, isn't it? It's not even barbed wire, it's razor wire. Yeah, oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Well, th there's a sequence in which Jessica's trying to escape and she has to escape through a series of rooms, one of which no, is... No, that's not her. Oh, is, is it the that's other girl? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, forgive me. That's all right. <laughs> um, she, and she's trying to get out and she stumbles into the room which is full of bales of razor wire. Yeah. Got to, you got to keep it somewhere, I guess. And again, 
it's so shocking and so striking, so visually what the fuck, that you don't question it until after the film. And oh, you think, I, I don't even question it now because it's, the movie's kind of mad. Yeah. It, but it's mad in a fabulous, creative way. It's a trip. Uh, it, it reminds me of Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death, which was photographed by Nick Rogue, in which there's a series of coloured rooms. Uh, I think that would be an interesting movie to set. But if anybody's... We're thinking about doing... Uh, recommendations for companion viewing films that sort of illuminate each yeah. other that might be an interesting companion piece to this well shortly after the, the next film that Argento did was and Christ I can't think of the bloody name of it um, it's well, the second of the uh, Suspiria films because it's a trilogy you're and kidding the name of it is just well, that's right. well, head, I'll talk about something so else while shot. you're trying to think about that yeah. uh, we're talking about many elaborate sequences with really elaborate art direction Inferno. okay great so, so <laughs> but we've been talking about how amazingly detailed and painstaking and carefully designed a lot of these sequences are but there's a bit where jessica harper is just talking to some dude who's a professor who's giving us some information about witches udo kia great uh, <laughs> but the point is they're just sitting outside a sort of conference center and it's just shot with her head against the sky Salute against the sky with the wind blowing her hair. And it's great because Suspiria, wind, this is all about sort of wind demons and, and air. So it's just a shot of a woman uh, against the sky, of her face silhouetted against the sky, but it's brilliantly done. So even a simple shot like that is full of artistry. That sequence with the, there's two professors, isn't there? That, One's the called end. Professor Milius, which I got thought was a hoot. What's that about, dude? I have no idea. I mean, this is just Argento, isn't it? Don't forget, all of Argento's films are based on dreams he's had. So, yeah, but, but I mean, John Milius is an American filmmaker, so what's that about? I don't think it's deliberate. I think it... Oh, well, who knows? Perhaps somebody <laughs> will get in touch and tell us. Actually, it could be. I mean, Argento knew his shit. It's not like he didn't know much about film. But um, it's, it's an odd one to name somebody after. Well, because it's, he didn't... He made thrillers. Uh, he made movies like Dillinger and The Wind and the Lion. Milius, he's not in this genre at all. So mm. that's kind of kind of spooky. Um, I don't know what else to say except get this movie and just be be completely absorbed in it. Maybe you know, um, uh, have have some kind of refreshments that will perturb your imagination and make you and make you enjoy it even more. I think that this is a wild, wild movie, and I and I love it. And oh yeah, the other sequence that re I really remember that that bit at the beginning, totally was in my mind. As soon as it happened, I thought I remember this from like whatever it was forty years ago, right? Just checking the date on this Suspiria. 77. So, yeah. It's old as me. 43 years ago. Um, but the other bit I really remember is when Jessica's walking down the corridor and there's this the evil polishing clean... silver. Yeah. <laughs> and this gleam. Uh, what happens is this shaft of sunlight falls on this. I thought it was a piece of crystal. Maybe it's a piece of silver. And this evil old woman who's, who's sort of the uh, janitress, the cleaning woman at this ballet school points the, the reflected light at Jessica and sort of bewitches her with it. And this light pours across the hallway and you see all these dust motes dancing. And the, the, is it music or just sound design at the point? It's music. You get a witch on Wonder. each one. It's um, just great. It's a... Yet again, Argento had a, a spray can of water with fine mist spray, oh, which they sprayed to make sure they got the dust particles. Nothing is accidental in this film. It's magnificent. And it's, it's, I was encouraging people to, you know, perhaps indulge themselves, wherever it's legal, with substances to enjoy. But you don't need it. It's completely trippy in its own right. 
When they marketed this film, they had a slogan which was the only thing more scary than the first half of Suspiria is the second half. Would you agree with that? Um, are all the things we're talking about from the first... Oh, I, f I forgot to mention there's a big sequence where the they've got an attic full of maggots, right? Yes. And there's this horrible close-up shot of, of this woman's shoes crunching on the maggots, which reminded me of an episode of NYPD Blue in which there's these niche porno tapes about cute women in big boots stepping on insects it's just it's not very nice in nypd blue yeah okay it's, it's true it was in the tv show what do you suppose the motive is for attacking daniel or well daniel what's happened is daniel is the piano player at the ballet school he's yeah. blind he has a very nice dog who's a german shepherd and the german shepherd bites this little blonde boy is, is alleged to have been yeah, this, this little is blonde the thing, boy. Is it's very clear that the... Because, it's again, it's that housekeeper again with the boy. Yeah, and um, he's obviously evil. He's basically Damien, right? It's like they've set Daniel up, but I can't work out what their issue was with Daniel. I The way I read it, this is not a big deal, folks, but what, <laughs> what I thought happened was that the kid was tormenting the dog. The dog barked at him or maybe snapped at him, uh, maybe even bit him, but it's all the kid's fault. But then they fire Daniel... And then it's vengeance because his dog dared to bite the little blonde kid who's, you know, like he's made you witch child. Like I said, Damien. So I just thought that's what that was about. That he had, that the sacred child had been bitten by his dog so that he had to die, obviously. Poor Daniel, ripped to pieces. Oh dear. Um, how do you feel about the bat? That couldn't have been a real bat, could it? Okay, so you, you felt it was a real bat. Well, no, because it, it looks like... Here's the thing about this bat. A bat comes into Jessica Harper's room and it goes flapping around the room and gets in her hair and she eventually, rather cleverly, throws uh, a towel or something over a sheet and she takes this um, stool and she smashes it flat. <laughs> and it's hilarious. But it's hilarious because the bat, you can't see any strings on it or how it's working and it was really convincing but it doesn't look like a real bat because it's way too fat like yeah. it's sort of like a cartoon bat oh is that because there's a mechanism inside i think it's it an air bladder ah that um, makes sense but it's it's weird isn't it because you look at that bat and then you look at the bats in say something like a vulnerable dr fives and you think okay you can do a, a realistic bat bat the trick is not to make it fly the moment it flies it loses all reality so wasn't just have this it wasn't this bat flying well, yes, but you that's mainly done with lighting. Mostly you see it flapping across the floor. That's the bit that really that sticks in your memory. Yeah. You can so do a bat effective. if it's a fat bat. Yeah, so I thought that's a really well done bat, but it was like a kind of cartoon bat come to life. It did So that I didn't mind her smashing it, because I even felt sorry for the maggots. I didn't feel sorry for this bat, because I never thought it was real, but I thought it was really cool. And one other thing, which cropped up in Tenebrae, which you dismissed as yeah. piffle. At the end of Tenebrae, you, um, you've really got it in for a me. A sculpture, on haven't you? Falls oh yeah, that was and dreadful. Kills the villain. Yeah. And I said it was art being used as a weapon. And at the end of this film, she takes one of the feathers from the peacock sculpture, yeah. and kills the head witch with it. Yeah, great. Um, get used to this. Yeah. There's a lot of art being used as a weapon in this film. Well, I look. I love this movie. It was so great to see it again. I just want to see it. It's basically a, a sort of music video. A 90 minute music video it's, and it's an extraordinary one have you ever been tempted to watch the reimagining that came out a couple of years ago well it came up when I was looking for it on IMDB and, and it's got Chloe Grace Moritz in it and it's the music's by Tom York the answer is not particularly if it had been on at my local cinema nothing could have kept me away but I wasn't going to seek it out not even the three hour running time look I had no <laughs> idea no idea at three hour running time um, I, I think I gave it about eight minutes 
before I thought, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, which is a shame. But there is a, supposed to be a manga version of Suspiria coming soon, which has got Argento's involvement, so that'll be interesting. Well, nothing can top this movie. This movie, if you don't like horror movies, that doesn't matter. If you just like cinema, you need to see this film because it's amazing. And unfortunately, because nothing can top it, it came too early in Argento's career for him to go anywhere else. Once you've reached this height, there's not much further yeah, you can go. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, and it's not it's not a naturalistic film, it's not a logical or rational film, but it's just a visionary film. It is a visionary film, and I recommend it very highly. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe.